Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. And this is Wayne. All right. So we're releasing some shows out of order here because I wanted to release this one as our Christmas episode because, first of all, I've got a Christmas topic I want to cover. And secondly, 2016 has been rough enough as it is. And the topic that we cover in our next episode, it's fairly heavy stuff. So I want to save that for, you know, after the holidays or at least after Christmas. I guess if you're waiting for New Year's and Epiphany, well, we're going to ruin your holiday season. (laughs) But if, if you're, you know, you're already there by the time Christmas is over, I think Hanukkah already came and went, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I used to have Jewish holidays on my calendar, but I had to take them off because it was getting so cluttered with all of Carla's comings and goings that I don't know these things the way I should. But anywho, I got two things I want to talk about. All right. Here's my first one. Simple question. If you could push a button and annihilate from all of time and space, every iteration by every artist of just one Christmas song, Just one song, not one artist, not one genre, not one album, just one song. But every iteration of it will be gone. What would it be? That one song that every time you hear it, you want to turn falling down into a Christmas movie. Well, you know, I'm fond of the rapiness of it's cold outside. So, <laughs> so from- I'm glad I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed. But- oh, dude, that I mean, that's that's Bill Cosby right there. I mean, he's, okay. so you're getting the hot chocolate, right? So it's not a Christmas song. But the other day I was that was deliberate. Someone- the other day, I was talking to somebody, and an '80s song was playing. It's, uh, you know, I think it was '80s. It's every step you take, every yeah. move you make, I'll, I'll be, be watching you. The stalker song, and we're yeah, sitting by there the like, police. Sure. Has anyone realized how stalkerish this sounds? Oh yeah, yeah, it is creepy. But sorry, so Santa, you- Santa baby. I did fucking hate that song. Ditto. That is exactly my song, Brodor. We are living in the same. We are moving back to the Berenstein Bears universe where Santa Baby has never been written. All right, but here's, I am completely with you. Here's here's where the bromance ends because my favorite Christmas song of all time is "Last Christmas" by Wham. I can, <laughs> if if we assume that every version of Santa Baby's gone. <laughs> I can accept that. All right. I don't have any problem with Santa Baby. And sometimes when you're watching videos, there are hot chicks that are singing it. Don't sexualize no. Santa Claus, man. That's messed up. That is messed up. I have I no mean, problem with well, it. Well, and on top of that, no, the one for me is the one about the little kid singing that she wants a hippopotamus. Except it's a woman singing it with a horrible falsetto. Yes. That song needs to go away. Never again. I, you know, Wayne, that certainly would make my top five. But Santa Baby. Now, the original version was sung by what? Eartha Kit? Oh, I don't know. Probably. I, be- I believe I it was originally right. sung by Eartha Kit. And then every everyone thereafter who thought they were the hot bad girl had to sing it. So Madonna had to sing it. I'm pretty sure Miley Cyrus has a version of it. I mean, it's just every time I hear that song, man, it just I, it pisses me off on every level. <laughs> it, it sexualizes Santa. It's materialistic it's 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 arrogant and it's an annoying song like i can't even just tune out the lyrics well sirs i have trouble with that in general like when i hear a song i hear the lyrics more than the music and i have had songs where i've liked them musically until i read the lyrics and then i couldn't like them anymore and vice versa i've had songs where i hated the music until i read the lyrics connected with them and then became a huge fan of the song <laughs> I, lyrics are huge to me 
But even if I took that song sans all of its lyrics, it still makes me wish that the only thing that chick got for Christmas was a hot little buckshot. (laughs) (laughs) It's cheap and saccharine and gross and the voice is annoying, regardless of of which iteration it is. It's it's awful. I hate it. I hope it gets hit by a truck and dies. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what? At least for what I think is the first iteration, which is Eartha Kitt, I got respect for Eartha Kitt. She was a great artist in many ways. Not that song. So I just don't have any issues with it. Just don't want hippopotamuses. You know, I wonder if, Wayne, maybe my thing there, because one of my things that's always irked me since I was a kid is bad voice acting in general. But one of the worst offenses to me is when they get somebody who's obviously an adult doing a falsetto voice acting a child. Yeah, And that was actually as, as much as I think the whole Peanuts thing is overplayed. I think everyone's, yeah, we get it. You all can connect with Charlie Brown. I I get it. But as much as I think that's overplayed, one thing I'll give Charles Schultz credit for is all of those shows that actually was a cast of children. I loved him on Hogan's Heroes. Charlie Brown? (laughs) Charles Schultz. Forget it. The joke's dead. It's gone. Somebody out there got it. Thank you. (laughs) But I, I have to give him credit for that. The fact that the children were actually all voice acted by children and the songs that they were singing were all actually sung by the cast. And so I got to give them mad props for that because it is always, that's been like my top of bad voice acting is when an adult is doing an obvious falsetto to do a child's voice. And I think the reason that all I want for Christmas is a hippopotamus doesn't make me as violent as Santa baby is because I am only aware of, and I'm sure there's more, but at least that I have heard in circulation on radio stations or on Charter's stupid music channel is I've only heard one version of it. Same here. Only one version. And I, I don't know. hear it very often. Now, I think if I heard it more often, that one might be the one that raises my ire. That might be the one that fills my limit break meter. I just heard but, it the other day. So that's why it's fresh in my head. I have not heard it this Christmas season. I and I'm happy. <laughs> I've only heard it once so far this season. I have heard Santa Baby in multiple versions many, many, many times over. And I swear, if you trap me in a room and play that on repeat for about thirty minutes, I will assume my final form and <laughs> it's it's going to be biblical what happens. It's Yes, they were going to add a 67th book to the Bible to describe <laughs> what happens. So, all right, here's my other thing. Do you guys got anything more about what you hate about Christmas music? Yeah, I don't hate Christmas music as much as a lot of people do. I think there's a lot of great hymns. And I also really like, I, I think uh, Mannheim Steamroller just sounds like people playing around with the cheap demo modes on a Casio I, keyboard. I hate Trans-Siberian. I like Trans-Siberian. Because Trans-Siberian proves something, which I had had theorized for a while, and Trans-Siberian proves it, which is if you take classical music or classical hymns and you play them with a heavy metal slash symphonic instrumentation, it works. And I had that theory for a long time, and then I heard Trans-Siberian, and they proved it. And when you hear Pachelbel's Canon in D getting ripped out on a guitar... That's my stuff. My only regret here is that they chose to focus more uh, specifically on Beethoven's music uh, and some Mozart as opposed to moving to the Romantic period and getting me some Chopin and Rachmaninoff and 
the place where my my ghetto heart really beats. <laughs> but <laughs> but all right, so I like Transiberian, but I can't I can't stand Mannheim Steamroll though because to me it just sounds so cheap. Like Trans Siberian, I've been I've seen them in, in concert multiple times. Those people they really are playing right. They have an actual orchestra with them. They actually, if I'm not mistaken, they actually grab members of whatever town symphony they're in. So like when they come to St. Louis, they actually grab members of the St. Louis symphony to play with them. And the guys that are up there, you know, playing the guitars and all that. I mean, it's all completely real. It's as opposed to Mannheim where it's just like, I mean, it's like Yanni's music, except it seriously sounds like it was done on a $50 budget instead of a $50 haircut. (laughs) And so... Oh, with that wicked molestash he's got. (laughs) Can we press the button and get rid of Yanni, too? (laughs) You know, I might let in my if when I go back to the Berenstein universe, I might let Keys to Imagination or the album was called Survive. But I think Yanni just needed one album and then just needed to stop, go slap around his girlfriend or whatever he does in his off time. What was it he got arrested for? Was oh, it? I don't. I couldn't tell. It was. You. It was something domestic. His facial hair. It was, <laughs> it was something that started with the domestic violence and ended with the, the mullet stash. At home, my wife and I call that domestic discipline. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Brodor at fearthebootcom <laughs> which I also just deactivated, yeah, by the way. I know. It's pretty awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. If you want marriage advice, I'm your guy. <laughs> well, something something my wife, she absolutely hates. She'd be like, baby, can you open this jar? I'm like, you can vote. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a great husband. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas! <laughs> oh, brother, if I got a Bill Burr clip for you. <laughs> All right, here's my, my second thing. I don't know anyone but me, at least behind the mics, is going to care about this as much as I do. Kind of like the Berenstein Bears thing. But there's an idea. There's this idea out in the social gestalt. It drives me nuts. And this has come up for me a couple times. Because, Wayne, you probably have some idea of this. Broder, this may, may be new information to you. We don't have any right now. But one of the things that Carl and I have very much been into is exotic pets. So if, if you go back throughout pets we've owned, we had a prairie dog. We almost adopted a wallaby. We actually went to the breeder and we had one picked out. Uh, we ended up not adopting it because where we were living at the time we could not have established the necessary habitat. but So we did not end up adopting one. Right, but, but in the new palace, you have nothing but space. Yeah, so, so <laughs> there might be a wallaby coming yeah. in here. But I've also looked at sugar gliders, which I would put in the category of semi-exotic. They're unusual, but I mean, they're, I don't know, they're quite exotic. Also sounds like a gentleman's club. Sugar <laughs> gliders. <laughs> what they are is brought to malls where people blatantly lie to the customers about their nature and yeah it's like glazed labia you know, sugar gliders <laughs> wow whoa uh, uh, pat. that's what i called you pat because why not Broder, on the way out <laughs> You know, you've seen, have you seen the movie Tron? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, when the, the Master Control... I mean, not the good one. I've seen both Trons. Have you seen the, the original one? Oh, yeah. 1982 course, yeah. or whatever. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when the Master Control program is starting to shut down and he realizes that he's in trouble, there, there's this moment where as he's fading, 
and Sark is our, his his right hand man mm-hmm. has just gotten his ass kicked. And as these kind of phase, like Sark, all my powers I give to you. And he like diverts all of his functions and whatever into him. And Sark becomes like this, you know, like 50 foot tall behemoth or whatever. And I have to picture that if this condition, God forbid, does claim Pat, that that's when he's on his way out, you're going to be there in the room. And Pat's just going to look at you and say, Brodor, all my power I give to you. And this dark and perverted spirit will pass upon you, and you will assume your final form. Oh, that would be brilliant. Odor will... Oh man! Now I want to change my badge for fear for fear the content. <laughs> but the reason I on the way out the door, Brodor, you should ask Carla about what she's giving all of her coworkers and friends for for Christmas this year. It's a sugar rub. <laughs> Gonna do that? No, I'm serious. I won't be able to keep a straight face. <laughs> All right, so sugar gliders, right, exotic right, right, pets. Right. All right, so when, and the one I've been looking into lately is I want to get an otter. Mm-hmm. I want to get a pet otter. All right, so here's what pisses me off. So, and I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to back up, backpedal, and I'm going to set some boundaries on this, okay? Because I'm, I'm not a completely unreasonable individual, completely. But I, I hate these people who basically, if they're not used to seeing it, it's an exotic pet and you shouldn't own it. You know, these animals belong in the wild, blah, 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 blah. Now, let me explain why, why I have an issue with that. And then let me put some boundaries on it. I actually do it in reverse order. Let's start with the boundaries. All right, now, obviously, there are some animals it is a really flipping bad idea to own. Crocodiles. Yeah, okay, for starters, one, any animal that you cannot control, you should not own. Plain and simple. The woman who had was an orangutan or something that tore the woman's face off. I mean, every year you read these stories about some dumbass. a lot with chimpanzees. Yeah. Yeah. Every year you read these stories about some moron that had a large simian or had a lion or something just completely stupid that they were keeping like a house pet. And big shock, it goes off and it kills or mauls a bunch of people and they had no way of stopping it because it's a gigantic monster of an animal so i let me begin right there and quite frankly i'm going to tell you this about dogs if you cannot physically restrain your dog you shouldn't own that dog because guess what dogs still have things that set them off that don't make perfect sense to us you cannot always predict what is going to set that animal off or when you're going to have to restrain it in fact If you want to look at deaths by animal, and if we rule out indirect causes like disease, because actually the animal that kills the most people every year is the mosquito, but this through disease. So if you rule out indirect causes like disease, the animal that will kill the most people in America every year is the household dog. It's it's a pet dog, not a feral dog, not wolves coming down from the mountains. It's people's house pet dogs. We should probably have a Senate subcommittee and make them illegal. Yes, particularly certain breeds, just on random cosmetic factors. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was sarcastic for anyone who's in the uh, bulldogs or whatever. That was sarcastic. Pit bulls, right? So I get that there are certain animals. It's a bad idea to have as a pet. The other thing that I think you need to be careful with as a pet is anything that does not socialize because of the fact that they get harder and harder to train and predict, especially if they are dangerous. Okay. For example, you cannot socialize a damn scorpion. Now, you could control them. You can keep them in a cage you know, or keep them in an aquarium or whatever. 
but you can't socialize them. So if we start talking about like large reptiles, if you can't control them, and I guarantee with very few exceptions, they're not social creatures, and so you're not going to socialize them, then you're just begging for problems. And I guess a third category I'd throw in is there are some animals that are either so endangered or require such high maintenance. They require such specific care that no one outside of a trained professional is going to be capable of giving them that care. Which also includes environment, like temperature. Sure. Yes, exactly. That was one of the things when we were looking at the wallaby that we had to think about was the two things in terms of environment we were not sure we could provide at our powerhouse. One was uh, they don't deal well with sudden fright or shock. For example, pet rabbits, if you startle a pet rabbit bad enough, they can actually have a heart attack and die right on the spot. Now, that doesn't get a whole lot of press because of the fact that rabbits are cheap and plentiful. But the same thing can happen to a wallaby. If, for example, a wallaby is in an outdoor enclosure, and all of a sudden, because we live along a creek, a bunch of coyotes come running up at its fence, and it scares it enough, it can die on the spot from psychological shock. The other thing is being in Missouri, obviously we have really cold winters, and so you have to be able to provide an outdoor habitat that has heat lamps and things like that so they can make it through the really cold months. And so there were things that Carl and I, being responsible human beings, looked at and said, okay, a wallaby, it's socially within the realm of things we can get along with. They socialize quite well to humans. It's not a danger to other people. You know, these are relatively small and relatively timid animals. And we looked at that, but the, the third part of we cannot reasonably provide for its needs, and therefore we need to make the sensible call and say, as cool as it would be, this is not something, we would not be a good home for a pet wallaby. And so we didn't do that. So another factor that doesn't have anything to do whether it's a good idea or not is the legality factor. There are a lot of municipalities that have specific laws yes. around exotic animals. And I'm going I'm, that's what I'm going to rail on here because I'm going to go nuts on one of them in particular. Well, and for me, the challenge is finding recipes. Like, because <laughs> you're going to get the wallaby right, and then the wallaby people are going to come check up on you, check up on the habitat, and make sure the wallaby's doing well. Like, how long before I can eat it? <laughs> this was, did you see The Simpsons where they got Grandpa a helper monkey? <laughs> Well, they use Grandpa to launder a helper monkey because Homer was just lazy. And so he wanted the monkey to do everything for him. Sure. And so he got it for Grandpa just, just to get the government to cover it. And as soon as they're driving away with it, Grandpa heard he's getting the monkey. And as soon as they're driving away, Grandpa's like, I sure can't wait to eat that monkey. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> but all right. So now, now with, the, with that groundwork laid, okay, so with, with, I hope, a little bit of common sense on the table. Which disappoints me, because I thought I was going to get the rail and throw fits, but you're being reasonable. I know, but this this is now where I'm going to start to to get agitated. All right, uh, first of all, let's distinguish two terms, because our two terms get used interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing. Two terms are tame and domesticated. A tame animal is one that is socialized to human presence. All right, a wide variety of animals can be tamed. Okay, for example, if you've ever seen that woman who raised a lion, you know, nurtured it back into health, and she went and visited a zoo, and then it was like hugging her, 
that is a tamed lion, okay? It is a lion that is socialized to people. There are many, many animals that you can tame simply by exposing them to human contact and human social structures from a young age, all right? Now, not all animals, by any stretch of the imagination, but there are many animals that will respond well to taming. There is another word which needs to be understood differently, which is domestication. Now, there's not a hard and fast meaning for the word domestication, but what it generally means is that the animal has been specifically bred for traits that make them ideal for cohabitation with people. Obvious example here is dogs. Dogs are all, to the best of our knowledge, descended from gray wolves. So when you look at the diversity of dogs out there, okay, from bully breeds to the retrievers to the the working dogs to little dogs, I mean, your your whole pet show lineup, right, your whole dog show, is that one on Thanksgiving or whatever that is, your whole dog show lineup, all of those are descended from gray wolves. Now, you could take a gray wolf and tame it, but that gray wolf is not domesticated. You take a corgi, that corgi is already, by its nature, domesticated. It was bred to have certain traits. They actually did an experiment a while back where they put dogs in a cage, and the experiment they did was they had a food dispenser, and they'd press a lever and food would come out. And they kept this going for a while, and then one day stopped the food. They just left it empty. And the dogs got agitated and started, you know, pounding on the lever. But one of the things they did almost immediately was they also started looking at the humans in the room and whining and looking to the humans for help. This was something they didn't have to be taught to do. They did the exact same experiment with wolves, and the wolves more or less followed the dog behavior, except they never looked to the humans for assistance. They just saw the humans as a background factor. They did not understand them as as a potential actor in the situation. Great example of this in your everyday life is cats are generally understood to be tame. They are not domesticated. The genetic differences between a house cat and a wild cat are basically zilch. There are some minor ones, and there are some people, I actually know this because I was doing some reading on earlier today, there are some people that will argue that cats are domesticated for various reasons, but the general consensus is they are not. It just so happens that the predilections of a wild feline fit what we want. They get along with us around the house. They are not large enough to really physically threaten us, and they kill and eat animals that we consider pests. Their wild behavior fits our lifestyle. The wild behavior of a pack of wolves does not. Obvious reasons. Now, when they pick off the small and weak of the herd, that includes your children. So, here's where my beef comes in. <laughs> People start telling you what you can and can't have based on two things. One, their wild misunderstanding of an animal, and or two, what they're used to seeing. It's like guns. Honestly, the I, correlation's I, crazy. <laughs> I, I, would, I don't want to go there outside of a negative episode, but you are not entirely wrong that people who don't understand them are the ones passing the regulations. The one that really blew my mind was several years back, somebody brought a Gambian rat into the U.S. A Gambian rat is an African rat. Okay, This is something that has no business being in North America. And this rat spread a disease 
to the local prairie dog populace. And all of a sudden, Congress comes along and in their infinite wisdom decides to ban prairie dogs. Now, you can tell these are people out in the out on the Northeast, because for anyone who's listening to this who lives out in the Southwest, you're probably already laughing because banning prairie dogs is about like trying to ban squirrels or robins. They are everywhere down there. Like, and I mean everywhere. You pull up along the side of the road and you look to your left at the median and there's a prairie dog warren right there, <laughs> right? That That's what's going on everywhere. They are as common as squirrels are here. You can, it, it is ridiculous to ban these things. And they actually, if you know how to socialize with them, you have to learn some things about them, right? No different than a dog or a cat. You have to learn some things about them that not necessarily everyone's going to know. But we had a pet prairie dog, and she got along great with us. We did wonderfully with her. She loved the dogs. She even got along with the cat and made a great house pet. And I think prairie dogs in general, and there are a lot of people out there that would agree with me that say prairie dogs make a great pet. Another one that gets a surprising amount of flack, though not here in Missouri, is the ferret. The ferret gets an enormous amount of flack. Uh, they actually have ferret protest parades in states like California, I believe, is one of them. Wow. Because it is illegal to own a pet ferret there, but basically as a giant middle finger to the institution, they'll organize these parades where basically everybody brings out their ferrets and they just walk down the street. Because you can put ferrets on leashes or carry them in your arms, whatever you want to do, and they just go out and all these thousands of people just walk their ferrets and law enforcement can't arrest them all. And so there it goes. And this came up again because I, I, my current want is I want a pet otter, right? And now an otter takes some specific situation. You have to understand their behavior, their diet, their health needs. You need to make sure you have a vet nearby who has some experience with that animal. So that was one I was going to point out. You talked about sugar gliders earlier, and like, so I could rant on about them forever. One of the things that I have a problem with about them is that they're now being brought out and tried to be sold mass market when vets don't know about them. And the more rare the animal is, the less likely your vet has any firsthand experience on it or maybe even training on it. Yes. And and this is why, for example, when we had the prairie dog, one of the first things that we did is we made sure that we had found a vet who had a history of and training in treating prairie dogs for their various because, you know, they have illnesses that are unique to them and mm-hmm. things like that. And they have symptoms that are unique to them. And so we made sure we had a vet lined up for it. And someone like you knows to do that. Somebody who just sees this cute looking thing in the mall who's being fed a, a whole line of lies about it. Sure. Doesn't think about something like that. And sugar gliders do look really cute when you see them. If yeah. you don't know what a sugar glider is, just go Google it. It's spelled exactly like it sounds. Sugar glider <laughs> protorcyte. <laughs> what? I didn't say a word. No, no, you didn't have to. You didn't have to. I was just, I was just thinking. You about remember that, that night Pat was going to kill us all? <laughs> he didn't say a word. Was the problem? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> but it's, I was looking at Pat Otters like you know I could make this work. In fact, there's actually a couple places where you can go and like swim with otters and such. And, and now let me tell you a value to this. There's a value to this. Well, here's what it is. People have a very, very, very selective degree of concern. All right. Now, I think some of this, sometimes people say, oh, is this because we're heartless bastards, which may be true to an extent. I, I think we do harden our hearts to things we ought to care about. But there is also a truth, which is that we're creatures of finite 
resources. We only have so much time, so much money, so much brain power. Your brain, for example, is constantly filtering out stimulus. All right. If you walk through a bookstore, you do not see every book you walk past. You don't do it. Your brain does not allow you to do it because it would overwhelm you. You could not process that amount of information. They call this your reticular activated filter. It's the reason that you can sit in a room and hear nothing until somebody calls your name and then you hear that. It's our brains are constantly siphoning out information, right? And we, we block out an enormous amount of what's left. In the same way, we only care about certain things, all right? If I step on an anthill, not many people are going to say much, but especially given the current concerns about colony collapse disorder and such, if I tell you that I uh, bug-bombed a beehive, a lot more people are going to have an opinion on that. If 20 years ago you tell them that, they'll probably cheer you. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, same thing. If I'm out there driving along, and I tell somebody I pushed a lawnmower over a copperhead, not a whole lot of people are going to get too upset about that. If I tell somebody I pushed a lawnmower over somebody's little yappy dog, a whole lot more people are going to have an opinion on that. Now, what's my point? My point is, one of the best ways to get people to care about an animal breed, to care about its habitat, to care about its health, to care about its conservation, is to connect them to it. The moment that you, and I understand there's some animals where this isn't possible. I understand the zoo cannot have a petting exhibit for the lions. I get that, okay? There's just some rational issues there. But a lot of people that argue against zoos and say, well, it's cruel to keep the animal confinement. Well, one of the things that you have to understand is not only are the zoos doing research and things like that on these animals, but one of the other things they're doing is why do people care so much about those animals and not others? Well, the reason is because we have a connection to them, right? We've seen lions. We've maybe not touched them, but we've interacted with them on some level. We understand what these creatures are, and that raises, that creates an emotional bond. In the same way, there could be an animal that you do not give two craps about until the day I bring one in and put the nice little fuzzy thing in your arms, and all of a sudden, your brain is going to start caring a lot more about that animal than you did before. Let's look at this with people. If I tell you a person died, eh, I mean, you may not be happy, but your level of concern is going to be, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's going to be some decimal point. If I tell you this baby that you held yesterday died, well, your emotional reaction is going to be very different. And the same thing is true of our connection to the natural world. And so there is a value to attempting to tame and even domesticate, which is why actually right now there's a group, I want to say, it's not in America, I forget where it is, but there's a group of individuals that are trying to not just tame foxes, but are actually trying to go through a process of selectively breeding out certain types. So they're actually trying to domesticate foxes. They want to mainstream them as a pet to reduce the amount of fox hunting and the destruction of fox habitat. There is one breed of fox that is actually allowed as a pet in some states. I don't remember which breed it is, but yeah, I would love to have a fox. And, and foxes, if from everything I've heard and from everything I've, I've, every discussion I've had with somebody who owns a pet fox, they tell me the same thing, which is that they make great pets. Another one makes a great pet. If once again you get a tame one, skunks. If you get now get them descented, <laughs> yeah. Unless you like that tomato juice a whole lot, get them descented. But I know multiple people that have had pet skunks, and 
skunks, so they tell me, make wonderful pets. But it's, and they scare off door-to-door salesmen. They do. They scare off a lot of people. But I have always been bothered by this hard delineation that really comes from not knowledge of the animal, but either ignorance or weak knowledge of the animal that says, well, I've never seen them as pets. They have this or that attribute, which quite frankly may be completely mutable, may be completely changeable. And therefore they'd make a terrible pet. No one should own one. And And I just want to slap the crap out of them. People look for different things in pets too. So met a guy, you know, right around Thanksgiving at a Thanksgiving party. And I was talking to him and this was a big reptile guy. And he had... Wow, that's that's a frightening... What Did, did you get some pictures for, like, <laughs> World Net Daily or whatever? Or no. So, the guy had... Yes. A reptilian overlord. Well, he ran into a giant reptile He was guy. exposed. I'm thinking we need XCOM. <laughs> so, I talked to the guy a little bit. The guy has snakes. He, has, uh, he actually does teaching and things like that yeah. to awareness programs. Sure. And he was talking about, you know, he has a lizard. The lizard will sit on his shoulder or sit on his yeah. chest. And it's like a lizard to me is not a pet that I'm interested in. Nope. It doesn't provide yeah, it's, me anything. It's boots. <laughs> it doesn't provide me anything I look for in a pet. But for this guy, they are exactly what he wants out of a There pet. are two things I like about lizards, if you like nothing else. One is lizards are voracious spider eaters, depending on the breed. The other is I forget which breed it is. So I'm, I'm, rather than speak out of ignorance, I'm just going to, to pause here and just say that I know such a breed exists. There is one breed of lizard that does socialize, but I don't remember what it is. I don't remember if it's the iguana or some subtype of monitor or whatever it is. But there is one breed of lizard that actually does socialize with humans. And so they actually do take on. I mean, it's not the same as a dog, but right. you they will actually start to build a bond with you. But the day that lizards won my heart was the day that I watched a video. I think it was an iguana walking around a room, eating spiders out of every nook and cranny it could find them in. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that in some of these animals, they may be what somebody is looking for in a pet, Yeah, but they're not allowed to be pets right now, so they'll never find their well, ideal pet. There are species that are being, and I realize humans have done terrible things to the planet, right? I get that. I know we've driven a lot of species extinct or pushed them near extinction or whatever. I get that. But... There are also species of both plant and animal that we are keeping around because of our fondness for them. You want to know how well pandas do in the wild? The answer is they don't. That species exists because we as humans have chosen to keep them in existence. Now, my point being, if we as humans can be such a powerful force to affect nature such that we can be our own extinction-level event, then I have to believe, and I do believe based on evidence, that we can also be the reverse, that we can be something that chooses to keep a species alive against whatever odds because of the fact that we simply see it and not only deign to do so emotionally, but have the capacity, the technology, the intellect, whatever, to do so. As much as some people have railed against it, when you look out there at all the backlash against whaling, and all of the, you know, dolphin-safe tuna nets. Yep. Why do you think that became an issue? SeaWorld. People saw the animals. People got to know the animals. They learned about the animals. Yep. And as much as people throw a fit and they want, the, want them released, 
some of these would have been extinct if it wasn't for somebody that thought, let's teach this thing to jump through a hoop. Yeah, you speak truth. Movies like Flipper. Flipper, even, well, Free Willy was kind of the message of free the whale, but even that is another case of introduce people to the whale. I'll tell you, man, before I swerved off into an English degree and then ended up working on computers, my original college major was marine biology. I wanted to be a marine biologist. Grew up in the Midwest, but I love sea life. Went to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago many times, read up, knew a lot, still to this day, know a lot about sea life. And one of my big loves, I always loved dolphins, never had any close contact with them. At the time that I was growing up, the Shedd Aquarium did not have any dolphins. I believe they do now, but at the time they didn't. And I fulfilled a life dream of mine when Carl and I went on a cruise and we went down to the Bahamas. And I went to a place called, I believe it's called the Blue Lagoon, which is a little resort somewhere off the edge of the Bahamas where they have a sanctuary for a couple of different types of sea life. And one of the things that you can do there is you can get in the water and swim with and interact with right there. I mean, I don't want to say up close because it's not even up close. I mean, literally directly touching the dolphins. And I had always loved dolphins. I'd always liked dolphins. I never really got dolphins until the day that I touched one and I saw one and I saw what they were like and I saw what they could do. And that created a connection. It's going to motivate me to have a different attitude toward them. I was bagging on spiders earlier. Let me give you an example involving spiders. When I was a child, I had really severe arachnophobia, very severe arachnophobia. And when I was still living at my parents' house, one day I noticed that there was this tiny little speck of a spider. It was the tiniest little thing. And it had built a web in some tiny little corner of the room. And... I had noticed that in its web was a few things I didn't like, fruit flies, mosquito or two, Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of something else that we had in my parents' house. You know what a click bug or a click beetle is? It's it's a little brown beetle. I've actually had some people didn't believe me that these even existed until I showed them to them. It's about the size of a grain of rice, and they're called click bugs or click beetles, and their body appears at a glance to have two segments. And what they do where they get their name is they can actually bend their back downward such that the two plates of their, their chitin of, you know, that bug arm or overlap, and then they can pop it upward. Okay. So imagine if like you took two playing cards and you put one under the other and you push on the underneath one until it pops above the one on top. So you can imagine how there's that kind of, you know, there's going to be a noise Mm -hmm. and a sudden release of pressure. That's what they do with their own back. So they bend downward into a V-shape, create that pressure, and then pop over their own chitin, like their own back, upward. And if you're holding one, it it doesn't hurt, but it will startle you because you'll feel the sudden, like, shock in your hand. And so you'll be carrying one thing, you're just going to throw it in the toilet and flush it, and all of a sudden it does that click, and, like, it just startles you and you drop it. And so I noticed the spider was catching these stupid click bugs, which were annoying as hell. And uh, so I'm like, you know what? I hate every one of you, but I'm going to let you live. And I named the spider. I named the spider Herman. <laughs> and Herman became my pet spider, right? And so I let Herman exist. And, and Herman like never just kept catching these bugs, never grew, stayed a nice little small spider. And being that close to that spider for that long, and watching it and interacting with it and getting to know with it didn't become a fan of spiders, uh, didn't become a friend of spiders, but but it did at least 
move me like if you use the old D and D was the attitude chart or what was it called? Bro, you know what I'm talking about. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there was, was a, there's an old right. chart in like D and D second edition of somebody's reaction to you that like had hated on one end and loved on the other, and you have all these points in between where you can try and shift them up and down, you know, from apprehensive to neutral or whatever. And so on that chart, on that D and D chart, it did not move me from hate to love. But it did move me from hate to a more neutral opinion, right? So you can imagine if maybe I hadn't started so far down at hate, maybe it actually would have made me a spider conservationist. But the point is it did shift me enough that I no longer felt this giant fear and this this blood hatred towards them until until Herman broke part of our lease agreement uh, because Herman was not allowed to sublet. And when I realized that Herman was actually... Hermine and Hermine put out an egg sack. That was when we had to break lease. And uh, <laughs> and uh, hopefully Herman found Nemo because that's the trip that he went on. She went on. So I, I, I am also deeply. Apolo- I want to apologize deeply to any spiders listening for misgendering one of you. <laughs> I, I, I meant no offense by that. But I, I just I didn't know it was a teachable moment for me as a homo sapien. So if I understand correctly, I didn't see the spider's dog. <laughs> <laughs> it was little. Uh, you just need more exposure to riffs. <laughs> oh, 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 good God. <laughs> no, 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 no. So somebody needs to run no, a riffs game. I, I said. <laughs> First of all, this has to be something that you can responsibly control and that you can at least kind of relate to. No one can control riffs and no one can relate to that. All right. Damage. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All that thing does is mega damage to your anus. And and as someone that's still that's still in, in disagreement on the Pluto thing, I'm not prepared to lose Uranus. So they make good fudge. <laughs> Pack it in. The game of Stellaris. I, I always shockingly play humans and start off in the soul system. You would not believe the amount of times that I have found gas anomalies on Uranus. <laughs> it's outstanding. So that's my rant on pets. I think people, I remember. Every time I move into a new town or whatever, right? Because St. Louis is so subdivided into all these municipalities that each have their own BS laws. And every time I move into a new one, I look up exactly what animals they allow and disallow. And how many of them? Because that's something you have to watch. You have three dogs. Some municipalities do not allow more than two dogs. Yes, you are correct. In St. Peter's, we were actually in a civil violation. (laughs) Nobody was enforcing it. We were far from the only house that had more than two dogs, but... The point being, though, that it's always weird to me how arbitrary these lists are about how I can look at this and be like, that's a terrible and dangerous animal. That's harmless but illegal. That's terrible and dangerous but legal. That's harmless but illegal. And it's very, very bizarre. But anyway, that's my rant. And by the way, if you ever want to know what to get me for Christmas or birthday, bring me a river otter and I will love you and that river otter Forever, or at least until it dies. I just need a gift card to Sugar Gliders. <laughs> <laughs> do they do gift cards to strip clubs? Oh, I don't know. Yes, but... <laughs> I know uh, that because I, I, I had do know now. I know that because I uh, because I'll let you guess who had a stack in his pocket and gave me a bunch. 
You want to take three guesses who? <laughs> do they have cancer? Yes. Um, <laughs> do they watch a lot of pornography on their cell phone during their role-playing games? They do. Mm. Were they actually gift cards or just the get-in-free thing? I don't know. Yeah, because there's, I mean, so there you you can get a lot of their business cards that are, hey, this is good for free, you know, a basically, you know, waiving the cover charge for the gentleman's club cards I passed out. I think yeah. they might have covered more than that. I don't honestly remember. If Pat was here, I'm sure. You know what? If there's actually a chance that Pat will be not on next episode because we're actually recording two tonight, but will be on the next week of recording. If he is, that is the question we're going to lead off with. Is Pat, what exactly can you get in terms of credit at a strip club? We're going to find this out because you know Pat knows the answer and he probably has like rate cards in his pocket. So, anyway, if you guys want to know what to give me for Christmas, just mail me an otter. And beyond that, have a great week. Have a great whatever holidays it is you're celebrating or not celebrating. Drink and smoke weed if you have to go to relatives that are going to fight about politics and religion. And beyond that, have a great week of great games, and we will mag you next time. <laughs>